I'd like to introduce our presenter today. Uh, her name is Jody Hurlmeyer. Uh, although Jody's lived in Lethbridge most of her life, this is her first real visit to Lethbridge, and so I've had a great time showing Jody some of the sites of our community. Jody's a lawyer with the Environmental Law Center in Edmonton. Um, she was admitted to the bar in 2003. And she practiced general litigation before joining the Environmental Law Center in 2005. She focuses at the Law Center on uh, areas such as oil and gas law, contaminated land, climate change, and access to justice issues. And she's authored numerous publications and papers on environmental law and given numerous presentations on topics such as surface rights and coal bed methane development. Jody is a sessional instructor at the University of Lethbridge, and so she's also sharing what she knows with an up-and-coming generations, which is great. So without further ado, I'd like you to join me in welcoming Jody Hurlmeyer. Well, thank you very much for having me here uh, to speak with you today. As Cheryl mentioned, uh, I had to confess that even as a native Albertan, this is my first time in Lethbridge. I arrived yesterday, and so I experienced warm and windy yesterday and now cold and windy today. So I think that that's probably a nice introduction to the Lethbridge uh, weather, at least. So I'm hoping today we can have an interesting discussion about the public interest, which I think is uh, an interesting and can be controversial subject. What I propose to talk to you about for the first uh, 25 minutes or so is to give you a brief introduction to the Environmental Law Center, which is where I work. I think it's important for you to know where you're getting your information from. And then the rest of our time together, I'm going to talk about some of the research that the center has done on the public interest. And then not just to have a theoretical discussion about the public interest, but really to, to tie it into current government initiatives, and in particular talking about the uh, impending land use framework and how the public interest might fit in to this government initiative. So just a bit about the Environmental Law Centre, where I work, we are a unique organization within the province. We're a charity, we're a not-for-profit organization that's been operating in the province since 1982. And we're unique in that we provide a public source of information on environmental law and policy. You can actually call the centre and, if you can believe it, speak to a lawyer free of charge and actually get information on environmental laws and policies, what uh, particular laws might apply to your situation, what your options are. So we're really a public source of information. Um, and because you don't hear the words not-for-profit and law in the same sentence very often, we are often asked how we're funded. And our major funder is the Alberta Law Foundation. So we're not affiliated with industry or government. We are funded um, by the foundation to be really a public source of information for, for all Albertans. So um, as far, uh, I, I just wanted to emphasize that to you, that please use the center um, and, and contact us if you, uh, if you have um, questions or concerns or you would like to speak to a lawyer about those types of matters. 
So what I wanted to talk to you today is really some of the research and law reform that the Centre has been um, undertaking, and it has to do with the public interest. So just to give you just a very quick introduction, uh, we're really looking at two boards, two government decision makers in Alberta, specifically which regulate natural resources in Alberta. one of these boards you're probably familiar with is the Energy Resources Conservation Board, or the ERCB. This board regulates uh, energy-related applications, so anything related to fossil fuel production, oil, gas, coal bed methane, coal in the province. Um, we're talking about wells, pipelines, facilities. And then we kind of have the 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 counterpart to this board, which is the Natural Resources Conservation Board. And this board reviews projects or applications related to certain non-energy related projects. Very specific, uh, unique type of board. It has a very specific list of non-energy type of applications that it approves. The one closest to you that probably went for NRCB review is the ski resort in the Castle Crown Wilderness Area. That underwent uh, a natural uh, review by the NRCB. So very specific uh, types of non-energy applications. So why look at these two boards? Well, this notion of the public interest is implicit in a lot of our legislation or a lot of decisions that government decision makers make. But with these two boards in particular, they actually have a legal mandate. They are required by law to determine to determine whether the project or application is in the public interest, having regard to the social, economic, and environmental factors. So once a hearing is triggered, they have a legal duty to carry out this mandate. So that's specifically why these two boards were chosen uh, for this particular research, because as a lawyer, I like to focus on the law. And in the law, it says that these boards are to use this test or to have this type of mandate when they are approving things such as well sites, sour gas wells, or certain types of tourists or recreational projects in the province. So the reason that we started looking at the public interest or why this this particular topic tweaked with us was because I get phone calls all the time from members of the public saying, uh, voicing their concerns or trying to get information. And Over the years, especially with the economic boom, we were seeing uh, a certain level of confusion or frustration that was expressed by those appearing before these boards saying, I don't see how my version or my views of the public interest fit into this particular test or mandate that the boards um, have or have been exercising in order to decide whether projects should be approved in the province. So in, some of it was coming from members of the public that say, I, I just don't understand. I don't see my views or the public's views reflected in the public interest. Part of it also came from the board level, that the boards themselves have been struggling to a certain extent with with trying to deal with this mandate and write it in, in and express it in their decisions. So funding for this project actually came from our core funder, the Alberta Law Foundation, and both boards as well expressed an interest um, with with receiving um, further clarity, if possible, on public interest and their public interest mandates. Um, and I will mention that there are two publications that came out of this. The legal brief, which is a short paper, uh, a summary, if you will, I brought along copies and they're on the outside table. They're also available from our website. 
For those of you that feel a bit more ambitious, there is a longer academic paper that's been published in the Journal of Environmental Law and Practice. Please feel free to contact me if you'd like a copy of that paper. But I will go through some of the major high points in the research that was covered in both the legal brief and in the academic paper. Um, so what I want to discuss with you today is what does the public interest mean? I did a bit of research in the academic community, what courts have said, what legislation has said, to try and answer that question. Um, how do the boards, in particular the ERCB and the NRCB, how do these boards use that term in their decisions? And then, not to spoil the ending for any of you, but if, if we think that the use of the term could be improved or, or isn't being used to its fullest extent at the, at the board level, what recommendations can we make to actually improve the use of this term in Alberta and how it cannot be done? So as far as what does the public interest mean, um, I'm sure each one of you, uh, maybe if you were thinking about this topic or even uh, looking at this question, would have some notion in your mind about what the public interest means. It's one of those phrases that really invokes in most people um, sometimes an emotional response, sometimes uh, you know, a, a, an academic response. It, every person generally has some notion about what they think the public interest means. And it's the same in the academic community. Uh, I group them under eight different headings, but there's no consensus generally, even with, you know, the quote unquote great thinkers, uh, about what this, this particular term means. It can vary depending on, uh, what the subject matter is that they're talking about or what the assumptions are that underlie the decision that's being made. Uh, it varies from it's a common interest we all share to it's the greatest good for the greatest number or it has to do with economic outputs and economic development. Or some people say, you know what, this particular phrase doesn't mean anything at all. It's really, it's really in effect meaningless because you can't attribute any specific meaning to it. A mean, any meaning that's helpful to decision makers, right? Because here we're talking about government decision makers. So putting yourself in the shoes of that decision maker, what, what does it mean? How does that help them make decisions in a better way? So I thought, well, okay, if the academics aren't helpful, what do courts say? And courts and boards have said, well, if you're, if you're considering a term such as the public interest, you just look at the statute or the law in which that term appears. And that's going to provide you with guidance as to what that term actually means. Well, it can and it cannot, um, depending on the particular statute. But uh, that's basically the only guidance we've gotten from the courts, and really from other boards as well, on, on what the particular term means. So how about, how about the legislatures? Maybe, maybe those that make our laws well, we'll have some insight. I didn't find any laws in Canada that actually dealt with the public interest in terms of natural resource regulation. Um, but there's about 15 statutes that have taken a stab at defining the public interest in Canada. Here's just an example. And most of them fall into this type of category where it's called just a basic general, very general definition of the public interest. Public interest means the well-being of the public at large. Public interest means looking at the concern and well-being and the public good. Um, very similar in wording to this. I call these you know, kind of uh, general statements or even motherhood statements, if you will. Again, for a decision maker, does this type of definition being included in your law or in your in your statute help you to make a better decision? Does it provide any guidance to you as a decision maker to make a better decision? 
Um, and I'll come back to that point uh, closer to the end of my talk. Now, outside of Canada, there have been other laws, particularly in the United States or in Australia, where they have put together what I call a shopping list of factors that you that the government decision maker has to consider when making decisions about the public interest. So in particular, in Alaska and Australia, it's a bit different than in Canada because these decisions and these public interest considerations are actually made when they are deciding whether or not to take those publicly owned rights, such as a mineral right, and lease them to private entities for development. So this occurs a bit earlier on in the decision-making chain, if you will, um, that the government actually has to take into account this list of factors. So this is what I call more the shopping list approach, where you're given a bit more structure and guidance to the decision-maker to make those type of public interest determinations. So looking after looking at academics and court decisions and legislation, so what did I come up with? Well, perhaps the conclusion was only surprising to me and not to anyone else, but the public interest can be defined in many different ways. Every one of us has a notion of what it is. We've seen, even from the academic community, it can be defined in various different ways, in economic terms or based on um, shared values. And it doesn't really, in and of itself, have any self-evident meaning that we all share. So, of course, are we surprised that the term can cause confusion or frustration when individuals say, well, that's not my version of the public interest. I thought the public interest meant this. And where what causes uh, part of the problem, I guess, is that these boards themselves have been fairly inconsistent with applying and articulating any type of public interest test or mandate in their decisions. So, um, and for them, the public interest has been left quite open-ended. The only thing that really structures their discretion or their decision-making power is that they have to consider economic, social, and environmental factors. Other than that, it's left fairly wide open. They have to work still within the confines of their statute. But in some, times, in some terms, particularly with the NRCB, the statute itself doesn't provide a lot of uh, guidance as well as to what they should do. So I didn't find that that, that was basically my main conclusion after all of that research, which um, isn't much of a conclusion at all, really. So I said, well, what do the, how about the boards? How do the boards, how have the boards used this term in their decision? And as I just mentioned, the boards have been fairly inconsistent with the way that they've approached the public interest. And what I have viewed as two just general observations from reading a whole host of NRCB and ERCB decisions is, are two major observations. Um, the two general trends with respect to the public interest. The first is that the public interest as a phrase is often used to justify decisions. And what I mean by this is if you read through decisions, particularly of the ERCB, in a great deal of those decisions, the public interest occurs as one line. This project or this well is approved because it is in the public interest. And in this way, the phrase or that mandate under the legislation isn't used to actually guide their decision-making. It's used to justify or legitimize the decision that's being made. And I think the danger here with using that phrase in this particular way is that the public interest becomes shorthand for or replaces the reasoning that should be done by these decision-makers actually in their decisions. They're just not writing very good decisions that spell out for those parties appearing before them what factors they are considering, what weight they're giving to those factors, and in the end, why they came to the decision they did. 
we'd see minimal um, discussion about the term. Um, and the other obser- general observation is that the public interest can be dominated by economic interests. There's a number of factors that play into this. Um, uh, a few of which is that, you know, decisions are made by other government departments prior to these, these matters even coming before the boards. So specifically in Alberta, uh, the rights to the minerals are already granted to private entities and they pay a lot of money for those mineral rights and then come to those mineral rights, uh, come to the board with those mineral rights in hand. Now, the boards themselves say this doesn't have any influence on their discussion of the public interest, but how could it not? With all other factors being equal, there is automatically demonstrates a need for the well or that there's an economic gain to be made, not just by the operator, but for all Albertans because we receive the royalty payments from that development. So there are decisions made by other government departments that can influence this. We've also had in Alberta to date no overarching plan for land and resource development to guide the boards. If we're not planning for any other outcome other than economic development, um, we're not planning for social or environmental outcomes. Of course, we're not going to see them um, at the board level or in other uh, in other decision-making regimes within Alberta. And a lot of this ties back to just uh, the, the central structure or the basis for how we've made decisions up to this point in Alberta about land and resources. The decision-making process we have in place is really based on project by project, application by application. So as a, as a proponent, you go ahead to these boards with an application for a single well or a single factory or a single pipeline or perhaps a couple of pipelines that you have, but you're not looking at a particular region for, or we're not looking at a, a larger scale for, well, how much development or how many wells do we want in that particular area or region or how much development in a particular area is appropriate or will still remain within the capacity, the carrying capacity for that ecosystem or within the carrying capacity of the social infrastructure for that area. It's very difficult to do within the regime we have because it's basically application by application approach. And I call this incremental decisions. It's sometimes called the tyranny of small decisions. You make a whole bunch of small decisions and then you end up with a large outcome you may not expect. So those are some of the factors that have contributed to, I think, the public interest being used either just to justify decisions and also uh, to be dominated by economic versions of the public interest or economic concerns. So where does that take us? Um, I guess my conclusion is that the public interest hasn't been... Uh, used in a consistent way. It could be improved with the way it's done in the province. So how can this be done? So I think part of the issue could be resolved by the boards writing better decisions. And we've actually, since the papers come out, we've already seen this at the NRCB level. There was an NRCB decision released in 2008. One of the board members called me and said, I think we did a better job this time. And they, the, the board really took the time in that decision to set out what factors they were considering um, with respect to the public interest, what weight they were giving to those factors, and um, how all of the evidence that came before them played into what they ultimately made as their decision. So part of it falls to the boards. The boards themselves can do a better job at writing decisions. But writing better decisions is not going to fix all the problems that we have uh, with the current system. Um, So when I was trying to craft my recommendations, I was trying to think of it on a practical level. Um, 
Uh, I'll tell you very briefly about what I didn't do as far as a recommendation. I thought, when I first thought, started this project, I thought, I'm just, why don't we just define it in the legislation, right? Let's provide some guidance to the boards and say what the public interest means. Included in the legislation, the boards have to consider it. Well, as we've seen from Canadian laws, most definitions are just kind of these feel-good motherhood kind of platitude statements. And I think, well, if I put myself in the in the shoes of a decision maker, a board member, that's not really going to help me make a better decision about natural resources in the province. So uh, I, I, I put that aside and I thought, well, let's look to, you know, what other jurisdictions have done, like in the States, a bit more prescriptive, their legislation. They put together a shopping list of factors, right? It can make the decisions a bit more structured. And I thought, well, this might be an approach we could do in Alberta. But again, that's not going to get at some of the larger, more systemic issues we have, such as the case-by-case or approval-by-approval approach to making decisions. It's not going to deal probably with issues of cumulative effects. It's not going to deal with the fact that we don't have any overarching plan for development of land and resources in the province. So I thought, well, maybe there's something better that we could do um, aside from the shopping list approach as well. So I wanted to kind of craft a recommendation that had some practicality, and the government at that time was already considering land use framework. So are people here in the room generally familiar with the land use framework at all as a government initiative? There's some nods. The land use framework is actually uh, uh, remarkable in that it really proposes a new type of regime for making decisions about how we develop our land and resources in the province. Um, and it's it's too bad that the, the province itself hasn't been better at educating Albertans about what they plan to do because this could potentially bring about large changes in the way that we deal with our land and resources. It's putting in place a planning framework for the province. Government leadership and responsibility for planning, something we haven't seen uh, into the pro- at the provincial level up to this point. And dividing the, the crux of it is dividing the province into seven regions, um, and each region having their own plan. Now, I apologize, this is a bit fuzzy, but the seven regions roughly correspond to watersheds. Um, and each region will have its own plan that sets out what outcomes and what thresholds they want for developing land and resources within that region. Um, now, just to, to demonstrate for you how this will work or how this has changed, potentially can change the way we make decisions, the land use framework contemplates that we're going to have provincially based outcomes. What do we want the province to look like? over the course of time. Its cabinet is going to have responsibility for this and they're going to create a new body called a secretariat. Those provincially based outcomes will bind or guide in a certain way the seven different regions and the seven different regional plans that are going to be developed. And there's going to be input from a multi-stakeholder kind of advisory committee for each region, which is called a regional advisory council or a RAC. So it's really these land use plans that are going to set out where we are developing and to what extent. And then the key point is that these regional plans then become binding on all other decision makers, including boards such as the ERCB, all ministries such as the Department of Energy, and all municipalities. So right now in Alberta, our decisions over land and resources occur in the pink box. 
That's all we have right now. We don't have any overarching plan or regional plans that are binding on decision makers. Um, so what does this mean in terms of the public interest, right? I'm here to talk about the public interest. Um, so I thought, what if we're going through this planning process, really the public interest is ensuring that these boards make decisions that are consistent with those regionally based plans. After all my research, the best conclusion I guess I could come up with is that the public interest in terms of natural resource regulation is determining how do we make the best decisions possible in the long term for developing our natural resources and our land base in the province. And I think the only good answer or realistic answer to that question is through planning and a planning-based process. So this this isn't really a definition of the public interest, but in some ways, if we're making those longer-term decisions at a regionally-based planning level, that then binds the boards. The boards can't make decisions that are inconsistent with that plan. So right now, the land use framework is a policy document. It doesn't have any legal binding uh, effect. It, there's no legal consequences for not following it. In the next couple of weeks, we are expecting that the Alberta Land Stewardship Act will be tabled, which is basically the legal way of of operationalizing the land use framework. I was hoping that by the time I came to speak with you today that the Land Stewardship Act would be out. I haven't seen a copy of the Act, um, but you can be expecting it to be introduced before the March break, so probably around the 18th or 19th of March. At the same time, plans for the Lower Athabasca, oil sands region in the northeast, and in your area right here in the south are starting uh, to be put into place. Those plans are to be done by 2010. So those two areas have been fast-tracked, or they are the key priority areas within the province for the plans to be done first. And I put a link as well on my on my presentation to the government website, um, and there's further information there. At this point, I will just give you my contact information. I wanted just to give you a brief overview, but I look forward to answering your more detailed questions on, uh, on my talk. Thank you.